So we will continue uh, on our message series that we've entitled Navigating Life. And in order to introduce the topic that I'll be teaching on today, I want to give you one of my favorite quotes. It's from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis simply says this, God whispers to us in the pleasures of life, but he shouts to us in our pain. And the reason I believe this specifically is because when I feel God blessing me or doing something incredible in my life, you almost feel God smile down upon us. And you sense his presence, but maybe not all the time, because we're so focused on the good that he's given us. And he's behind that, but, but maybe not in the way uh, that we can feel his presence when we're in pain. Because when we're in pain, it's God shouting to us to bring us back to him. And when you and I are in pain, we either do one of two things. We either run away from God or we run to him. There's no other path other than we run away from God because we're mad at him or we run to God because he has the answer. And one who's acquainted with pain, who understands the struggles of life is David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms. And one of the Psalms that David wrote is Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is in the category of what we call the lament Psalms. And the lament Psalms are, gives us permission to be raw and gut-level honest with God. I think sometimes when we are going through life and even though we're struggling, we believe God wants us to be fake robots. Where we walk along in life, everything's great, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen, brother and sister. But honestly, life isn't like that. We have the pleasures of life, but I'll tell you, I have felt probably more pain in my life than the pleasures. And doesn't God want the real us when we're communicating with him? I think sometimes over time we feel like God just wants us to be fake when God's like, no, 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 give it to me. Bring it to me. I want you in your vulnerability and your honesty and your rawness. I want the real you. Which is why we have the lament psalms in Psalms. And Psalm 25 is one of those psalms. Here's how I know that. As I walk through Psalm 25 towards the middle and the end, the psalmist says this in verses 17 and 18. My problems, they go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from all of them. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive me of all of my sins. I love David says my problems go from bad to worse. That is something I can relate to. There are times in my life where I am just struggling. And then all of a sudden, the next day I wake up and there's more pain and there's more stuff going on in my life. And I'm looking up to God. I'm like, are you serious right now? How could you allow this to happen? You see this is going on and you're going to let all these other things happen in my life? Sometimes it feels like I'm drowning and God puts my head underwater. He doesn't lift me up, but he continues to put my head underwater. I'm like, God, please help me. Rescue me. Save me from our problems. Have you ever spoke to God that way? To really tell him how you feel and to express your heart? The psalmist does here. One of the reasons he's able to speak this way is we understand there's a problem in his life. We see this in Psalm 25 too, and then later in 19 when he says, I trust in you, my God, but don't let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. David may have been the king, and he may have had a palace to hide behind, 
But every single day there were people knocking at his door trying to kill him. Now, I don't think many of us in America have that problem. If you do, please talk to me. You need to get some help here, okay? There are, other pe- there are people around the world, and when they wake up, they feel like they're going to be killed. Same with David. He had these enemies, and he's begging God, you have to intervene. You have to block them from me, or they're going to defeat me. And there's got to be things in your life where you're like, God, if you don't intervene, I'm going to be defeated. I'm going to be hurt. God, help me. God wants us to be honest and raw in how we feel. No matter what that is, God can handle it. But one of the things that David says in Psalm 25, you can almost skip over it. It seems like it's so subtle, but I think it's the crux of where David's coming from. And it's three words in Psalm 25, verse 16. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. I wonder how many people in here feel alone. Some of us in this room, we'd be shocked if we told people that we felt that way. Because we have great marriages, great families, great friends, great jobs. And yet underneath of it, underneath this smile, we feel so isolated, so weak, so vulnerable, so alone in this world. And that is a painful existence to have. And if we don't talk about it and identify it and do something about it, I wonder if that loneliness will swallow us up, just like David was feeling in his life. About two weeks ago or so, my son Micah was playing t-ball. And Micah, uh, he has a brother, Hudson, who's in the upper division of baseball. And it was Micah's last game, and I'm assistant coach for both of the teams, And at the end of the game, it was snack time. Now, in t-ball, snack time means everything, okay? Snack time means a lot to me in my life, too, as an adult. But as kids, it's not about, hey, can I play more t-ball? It's who's bringing the snack? What is the snack? You know, they're so excited about the snack. Well, at the end of the game, uh, Mike is getting the snack, and Paula, my wife, thought that I was still with him. But I went to the other field because I'm also an assistant coach for my son Hudson, and so I had to run over because the game was starting. So I assumed that Paula would bring Micah to the next game. Well, Paula didn't see me leave the field, and so she assumed I would be bringing him to the game. And both of us end up going to Hudson's game, leaving my little four-year-old Micah alone and by himself. Well, Paul and I don't know this, and Micah gets his snack, and he leaves the field, and he's looking around for his mommy and daddy, but they're nowhere to be found. And there he is, standing in the midst of all of these coaches, all of these parents, all these players, with tears streaming down his face. I know, it broke my heart, too, when I heard this story. And thankfully, by God's grace, as Micah's standing there alone, in comes Ken Rawson. Ken Rawson is our middle school lead at our Sandusky campus. And realize this lonely boy who has no responsible parents standing there (laughs) with tears streaming out his face is actually Pastor Eric's son. (laughs) And walks up to him and can tell that something's wrong and and leads Micah to his mom and everything ends up being okay. When I heard this story, it broke my heart because obviously it was my son, but I saw irony in the story as well. Because here's Micah, he's around all of these people, And he felt alone. And I wonder how often you and I feel that way. 
You know, if you go to an Ohio State game, there's up to 105,000 plus people that go to that football game. And I wonder if you and I went to that game, we would still feel alone in the midst of over 100,000 people. There's some of us that feel alone that, that have great spouses and a great life and no one would know it. And yet underneath of it all, you feel so isolated, so alone. And you want to know how I know that's a lot of us in this room? Because psychologists right now have studied this loneliness factor in our lives and they're calling it a loneliness epidemic. It is so pervasive in our culture that Cigna, which is a leading health group, did a study of 20,000 Americans and used the UCLA model, which is an academic model to measure loneliness. And they asked the question, how lonely really is America? And the results are staggering. Nearly half of Americans, so one in two of us in this room, report sometimes are always feeling alone or left out. That is unbelievable. One in four, or about 27%, rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. How lonely that must be. Two in five Americans, about 40%, sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and they are isolated from others. These are people who are in marriages, who have kids and grandkids, who have best friendships. The people that have tons of followers on social media come to a church like the chapel. They feel Like there's no one in their life that gets them. And their relationships aren't meaningful. And the scariest stat above all of this is that they asked 18 and over people about their loneliness and look what the results say about that. Generation Z, which is adults ages 18 to 22, is the loneliest generation. That's not the scary part. The scary part is getting lonelier. Our kids and grandkids are so lonely right now. And they're so attached to social media and they believe that everybody else has a better life than them. They feel so isolated, so alone. There's no meaningful relationships. And you know how I know it's getting lonelier? Because suicide rates are going up. When you get to a point where you don't feel like anyone cares or understands, you may have the best parents in the world, best school in the world, whatever it is. But if you feel like this, there's no way out. So oftentimes people will take their own life because what are they going to do about it? Maybe that's you in this room. You just feel so lonely. I've had so many people come up to me after sermons, especially this one that I'm giving, and tell me they're lonely, and they're the people that I would never, ever point to as the lonely people, and yet that's them. What do we do about it? Over half of us feel this way. I wonder if the other half are lying. (laughs) What do we do about this loneliness? How do we attack it? Well, David, he tells us two different categories that I want to look at today. And it's not an extensive list. This may fall into where you're at right now, maybe not, but I think there's principles in these categories that David gets to in Psalm 25. And the first one that I, that I see out of Psalm 25 that causes loneliness is outward circumstances. Again, David talks about his enemies. These enemies that are bearing down on him leaves him lonely. And there are things in our lives that are bearing down on us that leave us lonely. I think one of the things that is the worst part of loneliness is that we feel misunderstood. Here's what I mean by that. From an early age, you and I tried to be our authentic selves, tried to be who God created us to be. But for some reason, at an early age, we felt rejection. And instead of continuing to plow through, hoping to get over that rejection 
and being our authentic, our authentic selves, we stopped being that person and we became what other people wanted us to be. We wear masks. We're not really who God created us to be. And over time, we may be accepted, but guess what? Even though you're accepted, you're accepted for someone that you're really not. And you're misunderstood and you're lonely because of it. There are people in this room that try so hard to be who everyone else wants them to be. And yet in the end, they go to bed every single day, taking off the mask as they go to bed and just feeling so rejected and lonely, even if they were accepted for their false self. That's a lonely place to be. I think think the survey also gave us a little bit of what that could be in our lives when it comes to our relationships. There's some of us that are in meaningful relationships, but we still feel lonely. Why is that? Well, honestly, I see marriages, and people who are married oftentimes are lonely. And you want to know why? Because after a while, we stopped fighting for each other in our marriage. We just thought that life would just take care of our marriage, but we didn't really work at it. And so instead of being more in love, just like we should be as we get older, we're not just even less in love, but we're roommates, There are people in your home who are supposed to be the love of your life and your best friend, and you don't even know them. What a lonely place to be in the relationship that you should feel the most accepted and the most loved. I've heard from someone that says they felt rejected and abandoned as a parent. How sad that must be, where you raise your kids, you raise your grandkids, you give them everything that they need, and once they figure out they don't need you anymore, they turn their back on you. What do we do about that? Oftentimes in relationship, it's where we often feel abandoned, rejected, and alone. I know people who would say they're lonely because of the season of life that they're in. Uh, I have four kids, six and under. And I always look at my friends who have older kids, and I always feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> like they can go to work and not have their kids crying when they're leaving. <laughs> Or feeling like uh, these kids, uh, they're going to be a burden on, on their wife all day because Paula, my wife, has to be home with four of them. And you just feel like, oh, man, I wish my kids were older. And I'll go to work and I'll start to vent about that. And my, my pastor friends will say, oh, yeah, Eric? Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. And they start telling me about the issues that they're going through and I'm praying that God would keep them six and under. <laughs> or my wife, she's a stay-at-home mom and And I'll come home and say, hey, how was your day? And she was like, good. And then she goes, hey, how did it feel to talk to a grown adults today? How did that feel? Good? I didn't. And there's so many times where my wife, she has a great family, an incredible husband, of course. (laughs) Great kids, great friends. And I know that she can feel alone because of where she's at in motherhood, or I can in fatherhood. There are some of us here who who are stuck in dead end jobs who feel like, man, everyone else gets to move up. I want to be able to change careers, but I can't do that because I have to provide for my family. And you feel so alone in the 8 to 10 to 12 hours that you spend at work every day. There's some of us here who are single or divorced or separated. What a lonely path that can be. One of the loneliest paths that we don't talk about enough in church is grief. The path of grief is the loneliest because everyone else is grieving the way they ought to be and there you are stuck in your own path. And oftentimes when it's someone that you loved, everyone else may feel bad for you, but you're the one that has to go on that path alone. And it's dark. 
how scary that must be and how alone they must feel. So those are those outward circumstances that many of us feel. There's another uh, set of circumstances that I call inward struggles. And I love that David basically gives this category uh, named two words, pain and trouble. Everything kind of fits into that pain and trouble category. It's this inward thing. And oftentimes we don't even know what causes loneliness. There are many people that I talk to, they're just like, I feel so alone or so vulnerable, but I don't even know why. I call this category an iceberg category. There are things in your life that you can see, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. There's all the other stuff from childhood wounds to things going on underneath the surface in our souls. We can't see. And oftentimes, those are the things that are causing us loneliness, but because we can't see it, we don't really know what's going on. I'm going to get back to that in a moment. There's one other category that David is very clear about. If the other categories happen to us and cause our loneliness, this category is the cause of our own struggles. We cause those. And he says it in verse 18. He says, forgive all of my sins. Sin causes loneliness. But it's not other people. It's our own sin. You see, the problem has happened when we define sin as a list of things we should or shouldn't do. We like that because we can look down on other people if they make the mistake that we would never do. That's why we judge other people. We look down on them. But you see, when we look down on people and we judge other people, guess what? We are living out the very definition of sin. The very definition of sin isn't a list. It's pride and selfishness. Pride is at the heart of sin because what pride is is saying, God, thank you for creating me. You did a really great job, but I don't want you to lead my life anymore. I can do it. Thank you very much. So we push God to the sidelines and we act like we can be our own God. And that works for a while. And then over time, we've pushed God to the sidelines. And then we wonder, God, how come that I come to church, I read the Bible, I pray, but why don't I feel you? Well, we don't feel God or sense God because God hasn't had a chance to get access to our hearts because we're so prideful and selfish. We don't need him. So sin, it builds walls up around our heart so God can't have access to that. But more than that, sin is selfishness. You know what? Some of us feel lonely because we've built up walls against other people. And we're selfish, meaning we are the ones that call the shots in life. We are the ones that have to be the ones in control. You know what? People don't want to have relationships with selfish people. Relationships are two-way street and selfishness is all about us. And so we build walls up with other people. There are many people that are lonely in this room, not because of what other people have done, even though we blame other people. It's stuff that we've done. It's not God's fault. It's not other people's fault. It's ours because of the sin in our lives. What do we do about that? If you're one like me who's built up walls, what do you do? What does God do? Well, Isaiah, who's looking ahead to Christ, says exactly what God's going to do about it. Here's what he says in Isaiah 53, verse 3. He said he was despised and rejected. Those are lonely words, aren't they? If you're despised or rejected, I promise you, you feel alone. But why is he despised and rejected? Why is he a man of sorrows? Why is he acquainted with deepest grief? 
Well, the reason Isaiah says Jesus will feel this is because we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was, again, despised and we did not care. Which means Jesus came to his own people and we pushed him to the side so he would be lonely. We turned our backs on him. Whereas Jesus is here, we're walking this path, leaving him over here. He was alone and despised and rejected, came for his own people, but his own people rejected him. You would think, if I was God, thankfully I'm not, because if I was God, I'd say, you know what, forget you. You build up walls, you, you get out of it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 5, however, yet, but, <laughs> the reason he was so alone is because it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his trouble were a punishment from God, a punishment for our own sins, but he was pierced. Why? For our rebellion. Why was he crushed? For our sins. Why was he beaten? So that we can be whole. Why was he whipped? So we, he, we could be healed. The very thing that we did to ourselves is the same thing that Jesus takes on himself. He becomes lonely so you and I will never be alone. Those walls that we've built up in our lives, those very choices that we made that isolate ourselves from God and other people, Jesus died on the cross to break down those walls, to give us another chance at life for eternal life with him that starts here, with him and with other people. God doesn't leave us to our loneliness. That's why if you walk out and just remember one thing, you may feel lonely, and that's really true, and I understand how you're going through that, but you're never alone. Jesus was alone, so you never have to be. He was alone so we can be healed. He was alone so we can be made whole. He was alone so we can have eternal life with him. So when everyone else abandons you and you feel like you've built up a lot of walls in your life, just know that God never does through Christ. And you may say, how do you know that, Eric? Your pastor, people look at me and they think, I am so close to God and you're not for some reason. And when people say, Eric, you're so close to God, I say, you should see my wife. She's way closer to God than I am. <laughs> but you know what? I want to reveal something to you that I've been going through for a long time, and I've been praying, when do I share this? I'm going to share it this weekend. So about a year ago, I woke up one day, and maybe this was always there. There's times in our lives when things are there, we push it down, or we, we justify it away, or we go to other things to try to numb the pain. But when I woke up one day, the pain was palpable. It was just there in front of me. That pain was loneliness. That pain was dark. There are some people in this room that have gone through depression and it's, it's a lifelong thing. Mine isn't a lifelong thing, but I'll tell you, I was depressed. And I was going through life. I was a pastor you would have never noticed when I was on stage. No one noticed on our staff, even my own wife, who we have such an open relation with, didn't notice. Until finally, I started walking this lonely path, and I could not deal with it anymore. And I told Paul, I'm like, Paula, I am so alone. This is with a woman who is amazing, with a family, with a church, with friends, but I just felt so alone. 
I never thought about suicide, but I tell you, there were times that thoughts came in my mind where I thought to myself, I don't know how to get out of this. And it was getting worse and worse and worse. I started telling some of my best friends and some of our pastors at the church because I couldn't do this anymore. I met with our elders at the church. Our elders are uh, the bosses of the church. They're volunteers who, who lead Todd and I in our church. And I meet with them for accountability. And one day they sat in front of me and said, how are you doing? And usually I'm like, I'm doing great because I'm an optimistic person. I see the bright side and everything. And I looked them in the eye and said, I'm not doing well. If I'm honest, guys, I don't know if I can leave the church anymore. Now, when you throw that on someone, that's a lot to take. And so as they listened to me, and I, through tears and through just my burden, they said, Eric, you need to start going to counseling. Well, they must have talked to my wife. They didn't, I found out, but my wife was saying the same thing. And honestly, if I can just be transparent with you, I thought counseling was for those who are weak and can't get their life together. And the funny thing is, I am a counselor as a pastor, so I counsel people. I love to help people. I love telling people to go to counseling, but when it comes to my life, I didn't need it. But I'm just telling you, the darkness got darker and darker and darker. Our staff didn't know it. Some of my friends didn't know it. My mom was here today, and she didn't know it until I said it from stage. I just thought I could be strong. So a few months later, I sat in front of the elders, and now they're like, Eric, how are you doing? And I looked them in the eye and said, guys, I may have to give my resignation. I can't keep leading like this. I can't keep feeling this way. And instead of saying, Eric, you should get counseling, they said, you had two weeks to get counseling. I said, okay. <laughs> So I, I knew this guy who I, who I trusted, who I pointed people to, and I emailed him. And I basically gave him all these reasons why he shouldn't take me on as a client. <laughs> and I was waiting for him to email me back days later. Well, hours later, he emails me back. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically, I can sum up his email in two words. Try me. I thought, oh, shoot. <laughs> I may have to go through this now. I remember driving to counseling and thinking to myself, man, what a waste of time. I have all these sermons I need to write. I need to do all these things for the church. I'm taking away time from my family. I just get through it so I can check mark this list that the elders gave me. After one or two sessions, I was begging for more because all of this iceberg that was underneath the surface started to come out. One time, my, my counselor said, Eric, you have some childhood wounds here. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Yes, my parents are divorced, but my mom and dad always got along well. They loved me. They cared for me. What childhood wounds? And then he started to take that ice, or that ice pick and started going at this iceberg. And I was thinking, oh, wow, there's some childhood wounds there. All of these things started to come out, how I've failed as a husband or failed as a dad. And some of that was my own insecurity. I, I, I come across as one of the most secure people you ever meet, but I'm one of the most insecure. So I'm working through all of these things. All of these things are coming out in counseling. I've been going there since... I think November, October, November, and my last session was a couple weeks ago, and I have one scheduled for some time in July. Thank you. I, I wish I could tell you, man, amen, praise the Lord, I'm feeling good, brothers and sisters, just suck it up, and you can do that too, but that's just not the case. I still feel that way. But God has shown me a few ways, a couple through Psalm 25, that's my go-to psalm, that I think encouraged me along the way, and I want to encourage you with it as well. 
Two from Psalm 25, one just from my own life, and I'll wrap up with this. The first is this. Because we're never alone, you need to take hold of his hand. Now, I want you to understand the language in which David uses as he describes his trust in God. He says, oh Lord, I give my life to you. Not my Sunday from 11 to 12. Not when I feel like it. Not when I'm gonna pray, God, so you can get me out of a situation I got myself in. No, my whole being, I'm willing my life over to you. Show me the right path, oh Lord. One of my favorite verses is this. All day long I put my hope in you. Hope is a futuristic word. It's literally, the psalmist is saying, every day, all day, not just before meals, not just before, day, before bed, all day, every day, I'm literally asking you to give me a future beyond what I'm going through. But even if I continue to walk this path, if I have your hand, no matter how dark it is, I will trust you. You and I need to know that because if we're not holding on to God's hand, we're holding on to something else and that thing will fail us over and over again. We need a hope that never disappoints. The second thing is we need to embrace his forgiveness. He says, forgive my many, many sins, David says. If I were writing that, I would write many, 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 many sins. And if you're like, ah, I'm not that bad, what you're saying is you're better than the psalmist. Because you know what? There are things in our lives right now that we've, that we've put in walls up because of our pride and selfishness that people and God especially can't penetrate. And yet because of what he did on the cross, he was alone so you and I never have to be. He will take down those walls so long as we accept his forgiveness. And you know what? We don't just need God's forgiveness. Some of us need to give forgiveness to other people or to receive it from other people. You know what? There are so many people for their whole lives, no matter if you're 33 like me or 73, who with your whole life you've thought it's always been somebody else. Maybe it's time for us to look in the mirror and say, God, the reason I'm lonely is because of the damage that I've done. And just start saying sorry to people. That may not redeem the relationship in the way that you want it, but you know what? It's going to start breaking down those walls. And you and I need that so we're not lonely anymore. So we accept his forgiveness to be able to give it out. The third thing that has helped me is we have to be real about our struggles. You can't, get, you can't heal if you don't get help. Remember how I told you at the beginning that I thought counseling is for weak people who don't have their lives together? I was right. <laughs> for 33 years of my life, I thought, especially as a pastor, as a dad and a husband, I had to be strong. And you know what happened with me having to be strong? I became weak. God promises if we will be weak, he will be strong. And that's not a fun path to walk down, but it's the only path of healing. You and I need help. And I wish I could give you that help, or Pastor Ryan, we're only good at the tip of the iceberg. You need someone who is qualified to go through that, that, that bottom of that iceberg, that mass, and start to go at it so you and I don't have to feel this way anymore. And I don't tell you that as someone who's a pastor. I tell you that as someone who's in it with you as a friend. You may feel lonely, but God will give you a way out. And starting with this, you may hit rock bottom, but the rock that you hit is Jesus. You are lonely, but you're never alone. And may we trust him in that journey. Let's pray together. Lord, there are half of us, over half of us, who feel so alone. No one 
Some people don't even know it. Some of our spouses, our family members, our friends, no one even knows it. But we walk around so empty, so isolated, so vulnerable. And we act like we have to be strong and smile and have it all together. But David and the other psalmists write these psalms to show us that we can be raw and honest with you. So God, we just confess to you right now that we are alone. And yet you give us a path out of that. Starting with Jesus and moving forward. God, if there are people in this room who roll their eyes at what I'm trying to say, God, would you show them in their hearts they're never going to get help unless they look to you and to look to someone else that can help them. I spent my whole life rolling my eyes at other people, and yet I came to the end of myself where I didn't know where else to go. God, rescue people from their loneliness. Help, would you take them by their hand and lead them to the people they're supposed to be? First of all, lead us to you, Jesus. We pray that, excuse me, we pray this in your name. Amen.